It's amazing to me how many people desire to grow in their walk with God, regardless of where they are in the journey. So they ask for more faith. Many people pray for it. Other people say, if I come to church, maybe I'll just serendipitously get it. However, the scripture is very clear about how we get more faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 reminds us. So our prayer for you as you hear this message is that your faith would go from where it is to where God intends it to be. Grow as you hear this word. You know that we have been, over the past several months, gearing up and leading up to this Sunday, on this first Sunday of October, because we're kicking off a series that's going to actually go all the way into 2021, and it's a series uh, that will be coming from the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation is probably one of the least preached books. It's probably one of the least uh, explained books because it's filled with so much imagery. It's filled with so many things that often will take people down a road that really isn't intended for us to go down as relates to the book so I want us to pray and after that I'll be ready to jump right into it so we'll be good with music after that father we love you we honor you and we bless you this series is not just for citadel of faith it's not just for those who connect with us globally and online but I believe Lord if you tarry and you don't come back soon that long after we have passed away and the things that are in the book of Revelation are being fulfilled, that generations to come would be able to get a copy of this, get a transcript of this, and make sense of the things that will be happening in the world around them. So God, we take this very seriously and we approach this very soberly. For those who are watching and listening who don't have a relationship with you, Jesus, our greatest prayer is that they would submit to you and say, not my will, but your will be done. Breathe on this word that it might, again, God, be your words to us. And it's in the name above all others that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them up to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We're actually going to read the entire chapter today, and that is where we'll be uh, starting our series. So Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. It may read differently than whatever version you have. It opens up by saying, The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, 
Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstand was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I just want to talk today the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Literally, you all, the word revelation comes from a Greek word, apocalyptos. It's where we get the word apocalypse, which kind of deals with things concerning end times or concerning the end. Apocalyptic literature always deals with things that are to come in the future, the culmination of things. And this book is written and it's called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, for many people that, that, that hear the book of Revelation, they will say the revelations. It's the revelation and it's not just any revelation, but it is the revealing or the unveiling. That's what it means. The word apocalyptic means the unveiling or snatching the covers off of so that there's no more obscurity. There's no more blinding. There's no more uh, any encumbrance. It's the unveiling unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. Now hear this well. The book of Revelation that we're getting ready to delve into in the weeks and the months to come is not an unveiling of the Antichrist. It is not an unveiling of locations around the world where particular things might be happening. It's not the unveiling of a specific time frame as to when Jesus is returning or is he here already or is the Antichrist Christ sitting on the throne now. We're not going to be getting into those things. We are specifically looking through the lens of who is Jesus in the book of Revelation, what does his coming mean, and what is the result of his coming, all right? So there are many other pastors, and there are many other theologians, and there's countless materials that you can read. I encourage you to do it. Be very careful now. Don't just read a whole bunch of stuff, because not all of it, I think, is really always truly biblical. Uh, but there's a ton of resources about what this particular curse means or what this particular sign means or what uh, the Antichrist might be born. Listen, there's a whole lot of that. That is not the angle that we're taking. We are taking the angle of the unveiling or the revealing of who Jesus Christ is. So let me just give you a little background as to when this uh, book was written and to whom it was written. So in AD 95, you all, during Emperor Domitian's reign, although some think it was under Nero's reign, we believe that John wrote this letter. John had been, you all, uh, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, John is the one who wrote the last gospel, the gospel of John, but he also wrote three epistles additionally. So in addition to the gospel and the three epistles, he also penned the book of Revelation. And it happened, you all, because as he was preaching the gospel and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, times had shifted. As a matter of fact, this is about 65 years after the resurrection of Jesus, all right? So most of the people that were around Jesus and had known Jesus personally, most of them, many of them, had already passed away. And this was a new generation of Christians that were rising up uh, and seeking to know who God is and seeking to know who Christ is. They had not walked with him, but now they're reading the firsthand testimonies, all right? So John is now proclaiming the gospel 
preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that has shifted greatly from the time that Jesus had walked the earth. You know that when Jesus was here, the Roman government was still in charge. However, when Domitian became ruler, and soon after that, when Nero became ruler, this is where the shift happened. The emperors began to consider themselves as the Lord God. As a matter of fact, they demanded that all of the Roman citizenry would refer to them as God. As a matter of fact, if you were in public office or if you were any kind of person of influence, when you uh, heard the name of Nero or heard the name of Domitian, that you were required to light incense and you were required to say the word Caesar is Lord. That was a requirement. And if you did not say it, you would lose your home, you would lose your job, or you may possibly lose your life. So this is the, listen, this is the environment that the early church now is now rising up in, all right? So these are not the ones who walk with Jesus. These are now the second generation Christians who are in a society where the Caesar believe that he's God and are making all of the citizenry say that Caesar is Lord. So John, as a preacher of the gospel, as one who would only say that Jesus is Lord, is now condemned and exiled. And so he was taken, you all, as a result of preaching the gospel and sent to a remote island called Patmos. Patmos was a desolate island. It was an island that had no vegetation. It was almost like being sent to solitary confinement. It was the worst place that you could go. But because of preaching the gospel, he was sent in exile to Patmos. Let me just put a pen right here and say this. Uh, here's the question for many of you all. When you Do you ever ask yourself the question, why is it that I love God so much, I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, but why do I find myself under a greater attack when I do what's right. Listen, you all, if John, who was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, ended up being put in solitary confinement on an island called Patmos, don't you think that if you're doing what God has called you to do and doing what God has admonished you to do, that some hell going to come in your direction? Could it be that you may not be on a physical island, but maybe an emotional island, maybe a relational island, maybe a physical island, maybe a financial island, and you find yourself in an exilic situation thinking this because God don't love me and God don't care about me because if he cared about me surely I would not be on this island by myself but could it be that you are where you are not because God doesn't love you but you being where you are is exhibit a that you have not bowed your knee to the enemy but you said that Jesus is Lord and maybe you're in a time of suffering because of the cause of Christ Listen, you all, everybody says, I want to know Jesus. We want to know him in the power of his resurrection, yes, but we don't want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. You cannot know a resurrected Jesus unless you know a good Friday Jesus. You cannot have an Easter Sunday go meeting Jesus relationship and not a good Friday in the garden by yourself, blood stringing down your face. You can't know him in one way and don't know him in the other way. So maybe you are a child of God and you're suffering. Maybe you're a child of God and you are alone. I believe the book of Revelation is exhibit A, that you can be doing the will of God and still be put in exile, still be put in isolation, still be removed from your friends, still be removed from everything that you had because God says, this is where I want to speak to you. Listen, I'm so glad that when he got to the island, even though everybody else forsook him, God did not forsake him. Sometimes God got to get you by yourself. Sometimes he's got to remove, oh, I feel like preaching today. Sometimes he's got to remove relationships and he's got to remove situations out of your life because he doesn't want any distractions. You cannot hear the voice of God when there's all kind of distractions around you. You think you're by yourself because God doesn't love you. You think you've been cut off from stuff because God doesn't care. But he says, I no longer want distractions. I need to speak to you, my daughter. I need to speak to you, my son. And I need to remove everything out of your way that would be a distraction so that you can clearly hear the sovereign voice of God. Is there anybody here that has God moving some stuff out of the way so that he could speak to you. Oh, I feel God. So he's on this island of Patmos alone, you all. It's in the Aegean Sea right near Ephesus. And the Roman authorities banished him there because of his faithful persecution, I mean, faithful preaching of the gospel. And so you all, not only was he experiencing this suffering, but the churches now, of course, are experiencing suffering because Caesar is declaring that he is Lord 
anybody else that is now proclaiming a different gospel or any other gospel is under great persecution so the persecution had not reached its apex yet but it was coming and so the seven churches they were in that region where he was sent to the island of Patmos to hear from God those seven churches that were nestled right in that community near Ephesus they were getting ready to have an unbelievable onslaught of attack and so God in preparation of what would happen and what could happen prepared the way so that those seven churches could get the word that they needed and so let's go back to the text and let's walk through it if we would it says verse one the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him gave who gave Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place let me just pause for a minute Jesus himself said these words I do not know when I'm coming back the son of man he says has not been given the information as to when he returns and so you offer everybody that says, well, he's coming back on Thursday. They're, you know, the people said a few years ago, he's coming back in 2000. Remember that whole Y2K? He's coming right back in 2000. Listen, no man knows the day. No man knows the hour. No man knows the time. And for many people who read this, they thought that literally because it says that he's coming soon, that soon meant tomorrow. We don't know when he's coming. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, he'll come like a thief in the night. He'll come at the moment that we least expect him to come. So it says the revelation is from Jesus which he gave to John to do what? To show his servants what must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies everything that he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he said the means by which God is going to reveal to John what to show all of us who are servants will come to an angel that was sent to John to testify everything that he saw. All right, verse 3. And here it is. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now you all, this blesses me because this is the only this, this is the only book of the Bible that comes with the promise. This is the only book of the Bible that says these words. Blessed is the one who reads it aloud. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it. So you all, this book says this. God is going to bless whoever reads this book. And God's going to bless whoever hears the reading of this book. Could this be the reason why Revelation is the least read book? Let me, let me just say it again. Let me just say this again. This is the only book. Look, the book of John don't say nothing about blesses the person that reads John, blesses the person that hears John. The, listen, the book of Psalms, everybody likes the Psalms. Psalms does not say blesses the person that reads Psalms and bless other people that hear Psalms. This is the only book of the Bible that says with the reading and with the hearing of this book, I will command a blessing upon those who hear it and those who read it. Oh, you better hear me. Some of y'all need to be walking around reading Revelation all day come on don't look at me like don't look at me sideways if there's a blessing connected with the reading and the hearing then that means that's all we should be talking about you should be walking around hey good morning good morning blessed is the Lord you know find out some scriptures out of this and read it so you'll hear this well as we go through this book <laughs> there is a blessing commanded on you Listen, y'all, some of y'all don't believe in blessings. You can sit there looking sideways all, way, all day. I believe that when God says he's going to release a blessing, that he is going to release a blessing. Now, some of y'all don't need blessings. You sit there and look crazy. I know that there's some of us that know that we stand in need of a blessing. And the Bible says, blessed are those who read it and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Is there anybody in need of a blessing? Amen. Then you need to be reading this book every single day of the week. Open your mouth, find the text within this scripture, maybe reflections on what we said. I'm so grateful for our teaching team that's going to be placing online on the website follow-up materials and videos. But wouldn't it be amazing if every single day of the week you would take a verse or two out of the book of Revelation and put it on your lips? Because as you speak it, you are bringing blessings. Oh, my God. Listen, you all, when God blesses me, you can't stand in the way of it. 
when God blesses me, can't nobody take it away. Listen, when you bless me, there may be a string on that blessing. When you bless me, you might act funny on Thursday. But when God blesses me, can't nobody stand in the way of the delivery of the blessing and can't nobody take it back from me because they weren't the ones who delivered it. Is there anybody standing in need of a blessing? Well, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart and so you all this is going to be a blessed series and for all of y'all who get tired of the Bible y'all just read the Bible so much in that church y'all just read the Bible listen this is a church you read the Bible at church don't look at me crazy you don't get sideways talking about oh I'm at the airport they got all these planes planes don't nobody look at crazy. That's what you expect at an airport. Planes. And you expect at a church the Bible. Not just singing, not yelling, not shouting, but the unadulterated, infallible, eternal word of the living God. And a church that does not preach the word ain't a church. It's a country club. It's some folk gathering together, but it ain't a church. We are the church because we preach, teach, and live the word. Blessed. Tell somebody I'm blessed. Tell somebody. Tell somebody I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Ain't nobody tell yourself. I'm blessed. 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 All right. So you all, as we read through this, I just want you to know that every time you open your mouth, as a matter of fact, I would encourage you to read with us when we kind of go through this. Read with us. But as you read this out loud and as you hear it, you're commanding blessings <laughs> to your house. Verse 4, John. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, this is the greeting he gives, grace and peace. First of all, you all, these are kind of salutations uh, that would often be used in Scripture. You've heard this before in other books of the Bible, grace and peace be to you. Paul would often use it in his epistles to the churches that he would be writing letters to, and sometimes even to relationships to Timothy, to Philemon. Grace and peace. But you all, don't just skip over those words. Because grace means unmerited favor, unearned favor from God. He says, grace to you. That means, may, may you receive things that you don't deserve. Would you receive things that you cannot earn? Would you receive things that human beings cannot control? He says, grace to you. And once grace is extended to you where you get unearned, unmerited favor, and you all, I thank God, when you walk in favor, you can't point to how you got it because it was just favor. And for some of you all, in the midst of your struggles, listen, in the midst of your trials, and I pray in the name of Jesus that God would help you to not see your trials more than your favor. Some of you all have been so blessed with favor favor that you walk in situations that you should not have walked into had it not been for God's favor on you have you gone places and you don't you didn't realize I don't have enough money for this but you drove off with a car and you almost felt like they did they check my credit right you almost felt like you had stole a car you had to get out of there you know why because you had favor listen favor is unmerited as a matter of fact some of y'all are living in houses that it don't make no sense that you're living in that kind of house some of y'all are in jobs that it don't make no sense that you're actually in that kind of job some of y'all look at your paycheck versus what you are doing and what you are doing is more than the money you're bringing in that is called favor some of y'all have been kept physically in ways that you should have been dead by now some of y'all should have been cuckoo for cocoa puffs but God has kept your mind that's called favor so child of God grace be unto you favor be unto you and I hear you, Bishop Jakes, and you know about favor. Favor is not fair. That means it don't make sense why God would give favor to you and not to somebody else. And somebody else might hate you for the favor that's on you. You got to tell them, I didn't look for it. I didn't ask for it. He just chose me. He just decided to bless me. And favor ain't fair. It don't happen to everybody that way. Is there anybody got the favor of God on your life? Then I wish you'd open your mouth and give God praise for the favor 
grace grace be unto you grace be unto you but not only grace he says and peace you all I thank God that he gives you a peace that the world doesn't give a peace that people can't take away from you as a matter of fact I love Paul when he says a peace that passes understanding you know what that means a peace that don't make sense have you ever wanted to be worried and couldn't have you ever said to yourself I should be losing my mind I just got this they say I'm about to lose my house but I'm getting ready to go to sleep and you go to sleep harder than you did before you got the notice have you ever been, come on, have you ever been in a situation where you should be bent out of shape but there's something holding you together that is the peace of God that's transcending or going beyond what is understandable God's peace is not the peace of the world he says my peace I leave you my peace I give you not as the world give it but I give you a peace that'll hold you in the middle of the night I'll give you a peace that when everything is going wrong you feel like everything is gonna be all right he'll give you a peace that don't even make sense he says a peace so grace and peace to you. Well, where are you giving this grace from? I'm glad you asked. From him who is, who was, and who is to come. <laughs> you got you some friends? You ain't met my friend. Because my friend is one who was and is he gonna be that way on next Friday listen you are your friends you might be able to look at what they did but you don't know what they gonna do he says I'm the same God today as I was yesterday and as I will be in the future he says I because I have all of that power I'm able to give to you grace and I'm able to give to you peace because I'm the one that was and I'm the one that is and I am the one that is to come he says and from the seven spirits before his throne another way of that in the in the original it says or the sevenfold spirits seven whenever you see the word seven and you see a lot of references to seven in the book of revelation it's always a number of completion all right so when you see that it's always a number of perfection that's when we get to the mark of the beast you'll see 666 it's a perfect number of incompletion and so seven whenever you see it in the book of revelation always know that this is a number that refers to completion it's the day that God completed the work on the earth It's the day that the Sabbath was instituted but it's also a reminder of perfection he says to the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kingdom of earth. So he's saying, I want now, first of all, John, to the seven churches, because he's getting ready to encourage them, grace and peace to you from the one who is the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, who was and is and is to come. So you all, again, as we talk about the revelation, who is Jesus? First of all, know that Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. That means he is eternal. There's no beginning and there's no end. And he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first, listen, he's the first person who died and was resurrected for all time. Now, there are other people, we know Lazarus. We know other people who were died, who died and resurrected, but they died again. He was the firstborn from the dead. He's the only one who died and was resurrected to never die again. And watch this now. And they call him firstborn because the moment that you got saved, you were born to new life, never to die again. Let me just say this to you. Whether you know it or not, you already died. You already died. Your physical death is nothing but an opportunity for your spirit, for your soul to catch up with where your spirit is. You are already in Christ. You don't die and then get into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here and now. So the moment that you accepted Jesus, you became one who was resurrected from a spiritual dead situation. Listen, never to die again. The moment you close your eyes, you don't die and wake up in heaven. 
you just go ahead and go to the next location you are already in the kingdom you are already in Christ and you're already alive never to die again because your physical body is not your real you all right so grace and peace from the one who was and from who is and the one who is to come uh, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I got to move forward real quick. You all, we're going to be seeing a lot in this book of Revelation about Jesus reclaiming who he is as the ruler and the king of kings. Now, we say that, but we don't really see that manifested in the earth realm yet. But when Jesus gets ready to come back, and we'll see it in this book, he's going to take his rightful place as the king and ruler of the earth. Are you following that? All right. So, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, you all, I guess you say, well, man, they're just giving a whole lot of introductions about this. You know why? Because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So I know it seems like this is overkill, but for many of us, who is the Jesus that you gave your life to? Who is the Jesus that you submitted to? Most of us were in church, right? We start thinking about our jacked up life. Oh, man, I'm jacked up. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing that wrong. Preacher, somebody said, you know what? Give your life to God. It'll be better. God wants you, you know. Okay, okay, I'll do that. But who is he? Who is the Jesus that you have committed your life to? Who is he? What is his character? What is his, na what is his nature? What is he about? So this scripture reminds us right here. I need you to look at these words again. Verse 5. The one who loves us. God loves you. I spoke to my dear brother who's a member of our church this morning. He said, man, you're my last phone call before my life ends. He said, just stay with me on the phone because I'll be dead by the time you get off. And he said, God don't love me no more. And I said, you know that's the devil, don't you? He said, well, the devil is winning. And I know right now that there are people because of what's going on in your life it'll feel like God don't love you. Because if God loved me, why would I hurt so much? If God loved me, why would he take my loved one away? If God loved me, why ain't I got no money? If he loved me, why am I sick in my body? If he loved me, why didn't he protect me from corona? If he loved me, why wouldn't he give me what my sister has? Or why wouldn't he give me what I've been working so hard to get? I've been a good person. I know folk that's evil out here in the streets running game and they got everything they need and I'm trying to serve God and I ain't got nothing. So surely God don't love me. And let me just say this to you. God is not a capitalist. God is not a part of the economic system of America that says success is this and that and the other. As a matter of fact, if, 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 if what we're going through is an indication of God not loving us, then he must have hated Jesus. If, 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 if what's going on in your life is an indication that God ain't for you, then God must have couldn't stand Jesus because Jesus had nobody with him. Do you know at Jesus' funeral, only three people came to his funeral? His mama, Mary, and John. At his funeral, what? Where was Lazarus? Where was the seven left? Where was the lepers that were healed? Where were any of them Negroes that ate all of them, uh, them, them sardines and rich crackers? Nobody. When it came to pay taxes, he had to go fishing and get tax money out of a fish's mouth because he didn't have no money to pay taxes. He said, birds have nests and, and foxes have holes, but I ain't even got a place to lay my own head. Born in a stable, wrapped in the clothes of animals. Left by himself, his, listen, after three years with his best friends, pouring everything into them. You know the last words he heard from them? So uh, who gonna be on your right? Who gonna be on your left? You mean to tell me after three years of me telling you what the kingdom of heaven is, you still wanna know who gonna be on my right and left? Yeah, that was Jesus. 
and then on the cross. If that wasn't bad enough, the one who had never known what it's like to be separated from his father, the one who had always been with God, he was with God before there was anything. He was God. But because of us, he became sin. He took your mess and my mess on himself and became it. And then he said with his mouth, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, who loved his son, could not be one with the son because now his son had become one with us. So could it be that God hated him? No. God is love. And child of God, I don't know what you're hurting with. And as I talked to my brother today, I heard his pain. Because when you're tired, you're tired. And when you're hurt, you're hurt. And when you want to throw up and throw your hands up, you do. And please know that we're not minimizing pain. And we're not minimizing trauma. And we're not minimizing difficulty. But can I tell you something that I know? That in the midst of it all, God still loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You know why? Because he is love. He can't do nothing but be it. And could it be that maybe that's why the devil won't let you hear it? Because he knows the moment that you know God loves you, you won't care about nobody else. Because when I know God loves me, when you don't love me, it's all right. Because God loves me. When I know that God loves me, when you act fickle, it's all right. Because God ain't going to act fickle with me. He loves me. Would you just say if you could? I know it may be difficult for some of you more than others. Would you just say out loud? Say it out loud. He loves me. Come on, say it out loud. Say it out loud. Let the devil know Jesus loves me. God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom <laughs> and priests to serve the Father. That's why you got saved, not to be happy but to serve. You got saved not to have your stuff, but to serve. And maybe sometimes God wants us to be aware of the people we serve in. And so sometimes he'll strip things away so that you were so high and mighty. Now you know what it's like to hurt. Now you know what it's like to not have. Now you know what it's like to grieve. Now you know what it's like to suffer so that the people that you're called to serve, you don't serve from some high and mighty place that doesn't know. <laughs> so what the devil intended to break you is the very means by which God has now allowed you to be a kingdom and priest, to serve God and the people that maybe you needed to be closer to with your experience. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I'm almost done with chapter one. Is this, is this all right? He says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. You know what the gospel is? Jesus born, Jesus living, Jesus died. Jesus resurrected and him coming again and now this is the first glimpse that we hear in the text that tells us of the second coming when he comes back the next time he's not coming the way he came the first time when he came the first time he came as a baby with nobody knowing who he was when he came the first time he came uh, as a stranger as one who was despised and rejected when he came before he came as a suffering servant you know it he came as one as the lamb to be sacrificed for us but no one thing the scripture says look he's coming with the clouds and when he comes back you all every eye will see him and those who pierced him will mourn because of him he's coming back again but he ain't coming back the same way he came the first time he's coming back as king and he's coming back as ruler 
and he's coming back as Lord. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and the last. I am the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I know you said, wait, man, didn't he just say that? Why is he saying it again? Because we stupid. He, he, how, how many of y'all know you got to say, say, say to your kids stuff more than one time? Did you, did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? Did you take out the garbage? You know, right? So he knows that we don't really. He said, y'all don't know who I am. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. And then finally, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Isn't that something on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath? I was in the spirit. I wonder how many of you all choose on the Lord's day to be in the spirit. I wonder how many of y'all make that intentional decision that on the Lord's day, the day that you set aside to him, you are choosing to be in the spirit. And what does it mean to be in the spirit? By the way, you all, I, I, I believe in the gifts of the spirit. I have uh, several gifts that are in operation in my life, but I don't think that's the exclusive way in which you can be in the spirit. The Bible says his words are spirit in life. Do you know that if you're in his word, you're in the spirit? If you're in the word of God, you're in the spirit. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And what happened? I heard a voice behind me. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which, first of all, have y'all ever heard a trumpet? <coughs> Imagine a trumpet that sounds like a voice. <laughs> now, listen, I love bands and orchestras. And so, you know, like the marching bands, you know, uh, you know black colleges, I love that. Trumpets are a, I mean, that is a pretty loud and unbelievably piercing sound. And so he heard behind him, as he's in the spirit, a voice that sounded like a trumpet. And the voice said these words, write on a scroll, and a scroll was simply paper and parchment that they had in those days. So nothing fancy, it's just what they had. That would be the equivalent to open up your notebook or open up your, you know, and write these things down. Write down what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So it says, what you're getting ready to see, or what is getting ready to be shown to you, write it down on a scroll and send it to those churches, all right? So verse 12, he turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. So you all remember last uh, week we talked about the uh, tabernacle and we talked about the temple. Remember that? We talked about the tabernacle as being the place where God decided to meet with humanity. Remember that? And we talked about the way that the tabernacle was set up. That inside of the tabernacle there was the holy of holies. There was the holy place. Then there was the outer court. Remember we talked about that? And we said that in the holy place there was a table similar to this where they had bread. It was called showbread. They had 12 loaves of bread and they had wine. But then on the other side, there was a lampstand. Remember that? And we said the lampstand was the only thing that provided light in the entire uh, tabernacle. As a matter of fact, the Holy of Holies had no light at all because the curtain was so thick that literally no light could come in and no light could go out. The only light that could be seen in there was the Shekinah glory of God. And that's the only light that could be seen. So when you see lampstands, it's always a symbolism, you all, of God, of the things of God, of the Spirit of God. So there are seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of them, he sees someone like the Son of Man or someone who resembles Jesus. Now, John, as an apostle, knows what Jesus looks like. He's familiar with what Jesus looks like. And Jesus is dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters now you all John was sitting with Jesus by the fireplace John was sitting by Jesus at the table Jesus didn't have no white hair and bronze feet and and you know a voice sounding like you know the ocean right that wasn't how he looked when he was on the earth but when he is glorified and back to his state and status of being with God now you begin to see him through the lens of 
of the spirit and what listen watch this now what was common and what was ordinary on earth is now uncommon and supernatural in heaven and for many of us you all because we could not handle what God really looks like and what God really is he veils himself in flesh so that humanity could have some ability to communicate with him at all are you following me the, the real God listen no man has seen God and lived as a matter of fact I told you last week when Moses got a glimpse of God his face shone it said like the sun to the point he had to wear a veil on his face because people could not even look at the afterglow of a partial glimpse of the backside of God he says, I want to let your glory pass before me. He walks past him. The glory is so bright that his face starts shining and he's got to put a veil on his face because the backside of God's glory is so abundant and so glorious that humanity cannot even handle the residue of God's presence. And you just think we want to walk up in the church and give God whatever. He's holy. He's pure. He's righteous. And we don't just come in the presence of a holy God any kind of way. That's why we bow down and worship him. That's why we lay prostrate before him. Because we're in the presence of a holy God. Because he veiled himself with flesh. And because he's veiled himself with a thing called the church. Does not change the very nature of who he is. We become so familiar with the veil that we've missed the God behind the veil. His face, it says that I, in his right hand, verse, verse, verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its, all its brilliance. Have you tried to look in, in the sun? You can't. And, it, and it's way away. Imagine hearing a trumpet and some voices and turning around and you see seven lampstands and you see somebody that looks like Jesus when you remember him, but he don't look the same way. Hair like white, white like wool. Feet bronze like it's in the middle of a fire. His mouth has a sword coming out of it. In his right hand, he's got seven stars and his face is shining like the sun in its full brilliance. <laughs> Look what happened next. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I bet you did. When he saw him, he fell at his feet. I got to finish this. You all, I, I believe the reason why we have a hard time falling at the feet of God because we don't have the proper view of God. When you feel the presence of God and you know who he is, the right thing to do is to fall at his feet. Not to just keep looking. You can't look. Not to just kind of keep going on as normal. You can't go on as normal because you're in the presence of God. And you all, I just want to say to the church, don't let virtual church rob you of the posture you need to take of worship. Please don't allow being at home and in the bed and at the table rob you of the posture that you need to take sometime of kneeling in the presence of God. Get out of your bed sometimes and kneel before the Lord, your maker. Know that he is God and he has made us and not we ourselves. He is our God and we are the sheep of his pasture. And therefore, I will come before him humbly bowing before his mighty throne. He said he fell as one that was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. You all, I'm so glad that the Savior that I serve is alive. And let me just say this. I'm not here to talk about anybody's religion. And I know that my prayer is that this, this tape or this uh, message, this digital copy will be going on to those of you that may be in the midst of unprecedented times in the world as you're watching this. But hear me well now. And I'm not here to de de degrade or talk negatively about any other faith. 
Because I don't think that's what we need to do to talk down to somebody else to lift ourselves up. But I do need you to hear this, and it's true. The God that we serve in Christianity is a God who is resurrected and is alive right now. And for many of the religions of the world, the prophets that they follow, you can go to their tombstones. The prophets that they adhere to, their, their bones are decaying in the ground. They hold to the tenets of those prophets. They hold to the tenets of those deities, but they're dead. The joy of Christianity is that we have a savior and we are following someone who is not some sage or some prophet whose bones are in the ground. But he says here, look at me. I am alive forever and ever. I was dead, but now I am alive. The savior that we serve, he is still alive and he is on the throne. And one day soon he'll catch a cloud and come back and reclaim us and the world that has fallen. We serve a living God he is alive forevermore <laughs> and he says not only am I alive but look at this I hold the keys of death and hell oh my God that he says listen death no longer has power over me because I'm the firstborn from it Every time death met somebody, when death met him, that was the end. Until death met me. And once death met me, on the third day, I got up and I conquered death and the place associated with death, which is Hades or hell. Right now, because Jesus lives, those of us that are connected with him, we also live. Death no longer has a sting. The grave no longer has has the victory if you lost a loved one in Christ you didn't lose them they're in glory right now death has no power over the believer oh God I gotta finish this <laughs> yeah I know it's a lot of teaching y'all but it's the book of Revelation just get used to it you know it's a lot of Bible today y'all he's doing a lot of Bible well that's what it is it's called church finally you all he says right therefore what you've seen what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my hand, Jesus is saying, and the seven gold lampstands is this. And I love this about the book of Revelation. He says, I'm not going to have mysteries that I don't tell you what the mysteries mean. He said, here's the, here's the answer. That the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me end with this. Every church that is open in Jesus' name has an angel assigned to that church. Oh, you better hear what I'm saying. Citadel of Faith, there is an angel that God has assigned to our church. And you all, I think when we see the word angel, we, think of little, we, we almost think of the little, the little Cupid angel. Little bitty, no, 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 no. We're talking about warring angels. We're talking about angels that have swords in their hand and angels that command garrisons of angels under them. When you are a church open in the name of Jesus, you're not by yourself, but you've got an angel that is with you you but not only did we see that each of the seven churches had angels and they, and they said the stars represented the angels but it said that the churches were lampstands you all we're not Thyatira we're not Laodicea we're not the church at Ephesus we're just the church at Citadel but can I tell y'all what y'all are you all are lampstand you better hear what I'm saying we even got the name Citadel because it meant a city on the height of a place so that the places around it would find light and find shelter and find protection we are a city set on the hill of Detroit that everybody in darkness will know that there's a savior who is still on the throne there's light in Detroit there's hope in Detroit there's healing in Detroit there's an answer in Detroit and it's not government it's not the presidential election it is the answer that's always been the answer that will always be Jesus is the answer for the world today and a above him there's no other he is the hope he is the light of the world and citadel you are a lampstand you're not the light but you are a lampstand reflecting that light and you're not in this by yourself because there's an angel that he's got watching over us and the things that pertain to us 
So as we get ready to pray, let me just say this, and I know we covered a lot of material today. And I know for some of you, you say, man, that's a lot. You all blessed are those who read it and blessed are those who hear it. I don't know about you, but I need a blessing. If you don't need a blessing, then make sure you don't connect with us. Don't tune in. I don't need a blessing. Good. But if you know you do, then I, I pray in Jesus' name that you would not just be hearers, but doers. To the things that you hear, the things that begin to resonate, you live in those. So, Pastor, what are some takeaways that you want to remind us of? First of all, I want you to be reminded that Jesus that we serve is alive. We don't serve some dead God. We serve a living, resurrected God who, when he comes back, will not come back the same way that he left. He'll come back as the conquering king that he is. But also that he loves you. I want you to hear that. He loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your life, Jesus loves you. And he's called you in the midst of all that's going on to be a servant of his, that you are a kingdom. You are part of his rule. And that you who follow him cannot expect to follow him without suffering. That there are going to be things that happen that may not seem that they're good to you or maybe even good for you. But the promise that God makes is that even though you may not see it, all those things are still working together for an ultimate good that you don't see. And so my prayer is that the grace of God would be bountiful. The favor of God would rest bountifully upon you. But not only that, but that the peace of God would arrest you. And when you want to go, when you want to go crazy, you want to go sideways, there'll be something holding you together that you know is beyond you. That's the peace of God. So in Jesus' name, would we realize that we as a church are not in this by ourselves. There's been an angel assigned to us. And just as these seven churches were lampstands, surely God has called you in your neighborhood, in your job, in your household, in your community to be a light, to be a lampstand. The church is a lamp for sure, but the church is not just all of us, it's individuals, it's you. Here's the question. Who is it this week that needs to see the light that only you can bring to them? Who is it that needs to see light that only you can bring to them? Will you put it under a bushel? Will you hide it? Or will you remove the bushel, remove the covering, and allow your light to shine? Jesus is counting on us every head bowed and every eye closed Heavenly Father we are humbled and we are thankful for your word thank you that you allow us through this book of Revelation to have you unveiled to have the covering that keeps you hidden from our sight removed that not only do we get to see and understand a little bit more clearly about the things that are to come on the earth but most importantly, we get to see you high and lifted up, glorious, your face shining like the, the noonday sun, your eyes like blazing furnaces, uh, the sword of the spirit, the sword of the word of God coming out of your mouth. God, we get to see you in power and authority. Let us see you more clearly. Let your word help us to see you more clearly is our prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're listening and you say, Pastor, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know the Lord. I wish I did, but I don't know him. I want to know him. If that's you, listen, there's no perfect people. Knowing Jesus doesn't mean I got to get my life right and then I can get to know him. If you get your life right, you don't need to know him. He's looking for you. He says, come unto me, all ye that are heavy, laden, burdened down, and I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. So if that's you, sir, if that's you, ma'am, would you surrender your will to his, not knowing all this to come, but knowing what has been is not that good. 
I want something better. I want God in my life. Maybe you already know the Lord, but you've walked away from him. It's time to walk back to him today. He's not going to judge you like we, like people do. People judge you. He's not going to judge you. He's waiting for you at the edge of the road like the father and the prodigal son, waiting for his son to come home. He's waiting for you. Time to come home. One of the great things about having heard what you just had a chance to experience is that your faith has gotten stronger. There's no way that you could have heard this message and your faith has not been increased. But where do we go? How do we move from faith to faith? The Bible is very clear that if you have not really made the greatest decision of your life, which is to become a Christian, you've really missed the great joy of the journey. So wherever you are, if you would like to have a personal relationship with Christ, do what the scripture says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I receive you now as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm trusting you and only you to direct my life in Jesus' name. Congratulations, wherever you are, that means that you have become a believer. For those of you that are already believers, your faith is now stronger. Don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer, and let's change the world. If you just prayed that prayer, you have an opportunity to reach out to us, and we would be honored to serve you and help you in your journey. Uh, please contact us at area code 313-871-FORT, or please visit us on our website, Citadel of Faith. Dot org that simply spells c-i-t-a-d-e-l of faith.org all one word we would love to hear your testimonies we would love to hear your prayer requests know that you're in a partnership with us and you're not in the journey alone let's change the world together one person at a time